All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good to see you this morning. We're a little lopsided. I need some of you all to come over here on this side. We're going to be tilting, tilting over here. Welcome those of you who are watching us online. We're glad to have you with us. Yeah, so we're, we're working hard to get more people involved. Biagio is helping with the announcements now, giving my brain a little bit of opportunity to think about the message instead of getting lost in some of these other things. I will say this, though, concerning the shoebox ministry. We had a wonderful time here on Thursday night. Uh, we, uh, Deanna and team, shoebox team, brought in a young man who was in the Soviet Union uh, up until the age of 12, has been living here ever since, has just become a very successful entrepreneur here. Uh, his name is Vladimir. But boy, he brought a personal testimony about receiving one of the shoeboxes while he was still in Russia. It was just absolutely fantastic. And so I'm going to try to get him back here. Don't tell anybody. But uh, now that we're online and sharing this with the world, but um, I'd love to get him back here so you could hear him on a Sunday morning. It's just absolutely wonderful. So, uh, yeah, please come support these things, okay? A lot going on in, in the sock hop. Don't forget about that. that. That's very essential to raise money for the sending of these boxes. Okay, so this morning uh, we're changing around from what we did in the early service. We have Patrick Flynn and Christy Lynn and family with us from International Students, Inc. You'll probably remember them. They've been with us on a couple of occasions. And then Rajan is with us as well and going to come share the ministry a little bit. So, Patrick, if you will, and just uh, remember, just use that mic up there. It would be great. We have the privilege of sharing Christ's love with international students. And so these are students that are coming from other countries, from Turkey, from India, Bangladesh, all over the world. And they're coming to study right here in Charlottesville at UVA. They may be undergrads. They may be working on their Ph.D. Or some of them may be uh, professors at home, and they're coming to study here. And we, this fits very well with the instructions the Lord gave to us before we left the Great Commission, where he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Now, this is a big calling. Um, Matthew Henry, when he paraphrased this, he said, do your best to make the nations Christian nations. So why does this fit so well with international students? These guys are not only coming from wealthy, influential families to be able to get here, but they are the top academically, and when they leave Charlottesville, they go on to become leaders, reaching their nations. And if we can share the love of Christ with them, it is the beginning point for discipling these nations. So I want you to meet a couple of these students. We're going to share a video. These are students who are looking back on their time uh, and talking about how the love of Christian volunteers reaching into their lives has made a big difference. All these experiences really helped me not to feel really homesick and adjust to the life better here. And what is more important is that we could learn from each other about the different perspectives. So during my Bible study session with Anne, she shared me about how to handle the uh, the relationship among family members based on Bible. And also I share with her about my takeaways regarding why China is developing so fast and how I want to seize all the opportunities there. Most international students tell us that they don't feel connected and they like to have closer relationships with local American people. And that's something we can do something about. So to me, this experience has definitely been extremely valuable and um, it's very heartwarming. And I know it's almost unimaginable to think that 
you can meet someone in a foreign country that would treat you like one of their family members. And um, it almost seems too good to be true, but that's what happened to me. And I have been extremely grateful. That was the one thing I really enjoyed was the afternoon that, I, that Shi Chun and I spent together. And I was um, speaking of the Bible, speaking of the Christian faith in a very, very basic way because they had no idea what Christianity was. Um, and so for me, that was one of my favorite um, experiences was having the opportunity to articulate Christian faith to someone who had no background. Um, for the concept of Christianity. So it really helped them. One of the things we did was we actually bought them a Chinese translation of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which I think was, was really, really helpful and allowed them to engage more fully. And then one of the things that, that we invited them to uh, was to our, our small group that met Tuesday night, uh, a group of, of couples uh, at, uh, at uh, Trinity, and they really became, they only came to one meeting in person because shortly after that, we had to meet online, and they were have been very faithful, and it was really an opportunity for them to see, um, you know, a very practical and 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 practical uh, application and personal application of the Christian faith. So, in conclusion, we uh, have have had a very good experience, and we can imagine staying lifelong friends with the folks we've learned to know through this program. So I would encourage you, if you're considering this, uh, to step out and say yes. Many international students and scholars will be arriving this August. Friendship Partner volunteers contact their students about once a week and get together either virtually or in person about once a month. Volunteers and their international students, well, they share together about life and culture and faith. This outreach often results in changed lives and sometimes even lifelong friendships. Many international students enjoy observing a worship service with their friendship partners and sometimes become regular attenders as God begins to work in their lives. So would you consider befriending, befriending one of these students and sharing Jesus' love with them this fall? If you are interested in becoming a friendship partner, the first step is to attend an orientation meeting as you contemplate uh, getting involved in befriending an international student, let me just encourage you to start praying today for the student that you're going to potentially be matched with. Prayer is so key because it, it breaks down barriers, it breaks down fear. Good morning. Uh, so... Here you get a chance to see one of those international students live because not so long ago, I was an international student, um, came from Chennai, India. Let's see. Is that not working? Let's see if you can make it. There it goes. Okay. So, um, so I, I came from Chennai, India and studied in Ames, Iowa and then transferred to Clemson, South Carolina, and I've been working in Virginia for the last 30 years. So um, just a little bit of my spiritual journey. And uh, before that, I came like one of these students who we greeted in, um, in uh, August at UVA. Uh, I came with a single suitcase from India, and God has been very faithful 
in how he has scripted my story over the years, and he's still scripting them, and he's scripting your story too, so make a note of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so my spiritual journey started with a very sick childhood. I was so sick with asthma that every month I would spend two or three days out of commission, not able to breathe. And so um, uh, I was, you know, hopeless. I said I didn't want to live anymore. What is the purpose when I know for sure every two, three days I'm going to be sick? I can't play games or whatever. And so um, I was very, um, you know, hopeless and saw the pain in my parents' face and decided that it wasn't good for me. And I questioned God a lot. But God in his mercy continued to um, show me favor. And so um, uh, I finally found, even though I had studied the Bible, I didn't know the God of the Bible until at a youth Christian camp I felt the tugging of God's spirit. And, but I didn't grow in discipleship until I came to the U.S. And God's hand was at play because the very first uh, thing I did when God was telling me, go to a church somewhere, and I looked in the yellow pages. Some of you remember what the yellow pages is, but others don't. Um, I could not make any sense of the different denominations that were there. And so I asked one of the departmental secretaries, um, could I, you know, is there any church nearby? And God in his mercy and plans had this person who was a very young believer who had accepted Christ recently, you know, offer to take me to church in her car. And so I was blessed by that because she was attending new believer classes at that church. And so I grew by leaps and bounds. And she was so faithful when I transferred to Clemson. I told her I had communicated by letter in those days, uh, no emails at that time. Uh, and she was faithful to follow up, you know, and I know many of you are faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, so just like that, she was instrumental in impacting my journey so that she followed up and somebody else followed up with me in Clemson, and I grew in discipleship, and the Lord's been faithful ever since, so I'm thankful to be here. And uh, so when my job ended, um, Earlier this year at UVA, I decided to ask the Lord, what Lord, what next, Lord? And so as I was praying about it, the Lord continued to bring me back to the international student days. And so I have joined uh, the international students ministry, and I'm in the process of raising support for that. But it's a joy to work with them and to see how God is unfolding many things along the way. And so his plan is always better than mine because I was so short-sighted when I was a teen. And uh, God, thank God that he continued to have his way in me. And so I'm grateful. So I would like to um, say thank you. This is a picture from one of the events that we had recently with the international students at UVA. That lady is from Cameroon teaching some Cameroonian-style dance to the rest of us and grateful for how God um, continues to show that all the nations will bring him glory. 
And Psalm 86.9 says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. And we all have a part in it. So let me just say a small prayer and then. Lord, thank you that you have amazing plans for each one of us. Lord, you have weaved events and circumstances to fit your amazing plan. Thank you, Lord, for each one here. And we pray that you, O God, would empower us to be all that you want us to be so that gospel seeds are planted. And the seeds planted are watered. And those that are growing, Lord, may grow so that we may bear fruit for you. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. hiked Humpback Rock before, Humpback Rock Trail. So this Saturday we have over 82 international students registered to hike Humpback Rock with us. <laughs> so it shows you, they, the students that are here, they want to know you guys. They want to know what you think, how you live, what you believe. They want to experience life here in Charlottesville. And um, if you would like, we'd love to keep in touch with you. We have some cards for that by the back door. So just come talk to us, talk to the Newton family, uh, uh, talk to Pastor Bruce, talk to Rajan and me. We'd love to keep in touch. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you, Missy. Thank you for filling in for Pastor Hamp while he's gone. Thank you, David. I shared with David just a few moments ago, we need to see or hear from him at least once a month. So uh, put some pressure on him. So hint, hint. Right? And then that's not to forget about Madeline, you know, and her harp. And, and weren't the kids fun? Yeah. Exciting to see them and their little faces. Just what? A, how precious is this? Debbie and I got a chance to to meet with a, a lot of the campus uh, intervarsity students, leadership team from uh, JMU last Sunday night. Had 85 of these kids in a room and got to share with them. And um, we were just really encouraged by the fact that God is really working in the hearts of young people's lives. 
And so I uh, praise his name for that. So anyway, thank you guys. Thank you, Rajan, for being here. Thank you, Patrick. We have some history with these guys. That that picnic that uh, Patrick was, was alluding to, I guess, Rajan, you were showing a picture from the picnic. I don't think we told you this or not, but when Debbie and I were there, we were talking to a young man, came up to Debbie and said, um, he asked her, are you a Christian? And so for the next 30 minutes at least, we began to talk, and he had a lot of questions about Christianity, and it was just a wonderful uh, time. Of course, me being the long-winded pastor, I said, well, let me, let me share with you back from the book of Genesis. And he looked at him, and his eyes got real big. <laughs> he said, I kid you not, he said, this is going to be a long story. <laughs> we both... We both started laughing. I said, yeah, okay, I'll give you the Reader's Digest. And then I said, I'll give you the shortened version. I don't think you'd know what a Reader's Digest version was. But, but what a wonderful ministry. And what a great, great thing to be a part of. And so it's important that you see these things. Now, this is our third Sunday where we also want to share with you not only the fellowship meal, but also about the ministries that we're supporting. And it's important that as small as number we are, there, God is doing a lot through you. And so your prayers, your time, your energy, uh, being a part of hosting. Uh, one of the students, I know Neil and Thea, have been a big part of this over the years. And so uh, much to, to work with there. So thank you guys for being here. And Rajan, thank you. It's a blessing to have you here. We'll be giving you more information about the ministry uh, later, okay? All right. Well, let's pray and uh, let's look at our text for this morning. Father, we thank you for the joy and the 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 journey that you have us on. Thank you for the privilege of having our names called by you so that we would have our hearts opened to be able to understand and see the gospel and recognize our utter helplessness outside of your saving grace. And so we're here to worship you as we do collectively every week as a family, uh, even though we have expressed ourselves online and there are many that are watching by, by uh, internet and we just thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you openly and freely. And uh, thank you that we have been a nation that have been just that way, uh, free to worship you. Thank you for bringing us students. Thank you for the talented young people and the, the willingness to share their hearts. It gives us encouragement, Lord, as we're looking into the face of our culture. And there's not a lot to be excited about, quite honestly. Uh, but we thank you that in the church, in your kingdom, there's always much to be excited about. So thank you, Father. And we're, we're here to learn of you. We're here to hear the truth, not just what we want to hear, but what you want us to know. And so open our minds, we pray, as we listen carefully now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, stand with me as we read God's word. We're in Matthew chapter 10. This will conclude the chapter. And so we'll start on chapter 11 next week, Lord willing. So picking up in verse 32, we're going to go through 42. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. 
He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. All right. Amen. You may be seated. So we are in part two from last week's instruction to the disciples. And we've been learning throughout this chapter that, uh, to put it bluntly, quite honestly, is that discipleship is not easy. Uh, Too often in our life we look to the Lord to make things easier, and he certainly does do that, but discipleship is not easy. It's not an easy journey. And there are a lot of reasons for that as Jesus has laid them out, but mainly it's because there are going to be people in our life who don't like us. I don't think I know anybody who doesn't or wants somebody to not like them. And so we feel the stress of all of that, and and it's tough. In fact, the Lord says not only will people not like us for the message that we proclaim, they're going to hate us. It's going to be that uh, antagonistic against us. And they're going to even consider us to be from the evil one, from Satan himself. And this is what we looked at last time. As you remember, Jesus said, if they called the leader Beelzebub, how much more are they going to call you the same thing or treat you the same way? And that's because they're spiritually blind. And we've been over this many times now. But we have to remember, you and I have to remember that the world is blind. They cannot see. They literally cannot see the truth of the things of God. And so as much as is clear to us as we look at the things that are happening in our culture, we have to remember they cannot see. Now, that may be because they're simply just not saved. They don't have the Spirit of God living in them, and that happens at the moment of salvation. Uh, It can be that they've rejected the things of God, and God has darkened their hearts. He's removed himself from them and the ability to see. For whatever reason, they're blind. They cannot see the things of truth, and they... Uh, approve of things of the darkness. And so we have to remember these things. Um, But we're to love them anyway in our remembering them. We're to be examples of what it means to love because we have the message of eternal life. And, And really that's the greatest thing that anybody could ever have is to have the privilege of having the the gospel itself, the truth of God's word to be able to take into the darkened world. Even though people will be against us personally, and he's made that very clear, the Lord has also said he will take care of all of that in his time. It's not for us to reciprocate some kind of evil for evil. That's not the purpose of God. He did say to us in his taking care of things, as long as you're on this earth, I don't want you to be afraid of them. And that's a good message for us to hear too. Again, this was from last time. We're not to be afraid of them because he said man can only do so much to us. If you remember, he said, man can only take your physical body, your physical life. And that's bad enough. And I know most of us would say, I don't like that plan either. And we'd like to get rid of that. And we try to avoid that at all costs. And we understand that. But the Lord says, the bottom line is, that's all man can do to you. He cannot take your soul. But I can. 
And so Jesus said last time, remember, if you're going to fear someone, fear God, because he can not only take your physical life, but he can also cast your soul into hell. And if you remember, we uh, dissected that a little bit and said some people would say, well, destruction means that I just won't live anymore. I'll cease to exist. And a lot of people believe that, but that's not what God is saying. That's not the wording there. God is talking about through many other places in Scripture that he will do just as I said, and he will remove our soul from the eternal glories of heaven and his righteousness and put it in captivity for eternity in a place of punishment and torment. And so we are really to have pity and compassion on even the people that persecute us. We're to love them and do good because we belong to God. Now, that was from last time. And so as the chapter now concludes, as we just read, you hear more instruction, three predominantly And then we'll be done with this. So number one, here it is for today. This comes from verses 32 and 33. If you expect to enter into heaven, you must display Jesus in your life. That's really what he's saying now by way of instruction here in these first two verses. Notice he says, therefore, that word is just reminding us of everything we just talked about. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That is not unclear. It's very straightforward. The Lord doesn't need to really elaborate on that, although he does in the remaining part of this chapter. It is just straightforward. Now, to be clear, though, this word confesses is a little different from what we would normally think of in our Christian life. We are to confess in the sense of repentance. That's the turning away, turning around. And we were going this direction, and now we're going this direction. We're following the Lord as we are agreeing with him about our sinfulness and the need for his righteousness. That's what we typically understand confession to be. But here the Lord is using it in a little different way. He's talking about now professing. This is once you are now a believer, you've trusted Christ as Lord of your life. Now he wants us to profess him. And that is to acknowledge. It's very literal there. And to show basically our allegiance to him. Meaning that there can't just be a confessing of sin to him. That's necessary that's foundational step number one if you will in the life of the christian but now the lord is saying there must be a profession as lord of your life and that's not only to just other people who are already believers but very specifically to the world at large in other words there's never to be anyone who is a secret christian I suppose the verse could be translated this way, and I found this in someone's writings about this particular verse in verse 32. They said, whoever tells people publicly that he is loyal to me, I will tell my father that I am loyal to that person. I like how that's written. It's really very clear. Whoever tells people publicly, key words here, that he or that person is loyal to Jesus then Jesus says, I will tell my father that I in turn am loyal to this person. I love that. Again, there's not to be any secret Christian. There's no such thing. That's an oxymoron. That is not possible in the life of a believer to live inwardly just in a life of peace and luxury and happiness, pulled aside from society, never to engage society, never to be a part of society, and live the joys of the kingdom here on earth. That's not the life of the Christian today. We do enjoy those things. 
But that's not what this life is all about. This life is to be a public display to the world of who Jesus is in us. Now, sadly, there are people who live just the opposite. In other words, they live one way in the church and one way in the world. And that's not something we haven't heard before. I had a man tell me some years ago that my spouse, he says, is not the same person at home that they are here at the church. And that's a sad indictment from a spouse to another spouse. But the reality was, what they were telling me was, what you see in this person here is not the person that they really are internally. They're not the person that I know. And that's, again, like I said, a sad indictment. But there are many people that are like that. They put on a good front when they're in front of people, but away from the people of God and the church, they're very different. And so the point the Lord is making here, I believe, as I listen to this, is that people can profess Jesus with their mouth all day long, but they are not to live some way as they reject him in their living, or just the opposite. They can show good works outwardly, but their heart may be far from him. Jesus says that's not going to work. And James will later pick up on this same theme as he writes his letter many years later. But all of why Jesus said in his sermon earlier, and, and this is kind of the progression before I read this passage. If you remember, Jesus has given his Sermon on the Mount in the, in the earlier chapters. Now he's teaching the disciples how to live the sermon, how to flesh it out, if you will. And so if you remember back in chapter 7, Jesus said this, you will know them by their fruits. Who's them? My people. And he uses this illustration, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? And they were, it was a farming term, and they were in an agrarian society, and so they would understand Jesus' illustration. So a good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. I mean, that just is obvious, right? A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. I won't go reteach all of that. You can go back and listen to that message. But again, an illustration that's very fitting. Every tree, verse 19, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In those days when a farmer would say, okay, I need the room for a better tree. This tree is not producing something. The only thing fit for it is to burn it up. And Jesus is saying that's what the Father will do. If you're not bearing fruit publicly then you're of no use. So verse 20, you will know them by their fruits. So Jesus makes that very clear. Now to the disciples, he's saying, let's live this. Here's how I want you to live this. And so really Jesus is saying two things. Number one, if you fear man more than you fear your heavenly father, you either need to grow in your relationship, and that's quite possible. We all need to grow. We all have times where we miss the point or we don't do what we should. We feel that. We're all guilty of that. Or Jesus is saying, you may by chance be proving that you don't really belong to the Father. You've never truly been born again if there is no fruit. Now, secondly, I think Jesus is saying, if you are a professing Christian in most places in life, and listen to what I say there, but not everywhere, then either you need to grow and you need to hear this message and change your ways or it's quite possible as well you're not a part of the family of God at all. There is that reality. Because only those who are truly born again live their lives as witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's the bottom line. Now Jesus is just simply doing what he normally does in good teaching and that is to make a point and then give some illustrations to help us to understand it. 
Now, just to be clear, professing, and this is just kind of an aside note, professing Christ is not a set of rules and regulations. I hope that's clear. Some of you have grown up in places where that was the case or that it is to have even perfect faith. But as I was just alluding to a minute ago, we're all weak. We all have our problems. We all struggle. And we all sin, even as God's children, which is why grace and mercy is so powerful, right? If you've experienced the grace of God, you know how powerful it is in our lives. I love how John put it in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, and he's talking to believers, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? He's, but he's also writing to unbelievers, whoever would listen to this. God knows that you're not perfect. This is the whole point in Jesus' coming. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy, but he also has some conditions. He has some instruction that we are to live by. In fact, I suppose we could remember Peter. Peter's a great example of a man who was doing his life's best to live for Jesus, but he failed pretty miserably. He denied the Lord, if you can imagine such a thing. I mean, I've always liked the thought that if I were Peter and I was literally living with Jesus for three years and the time came for me to stand for him in its most difficult time, I would have been the one who says, yes, I belong to him. But I wonder sometimes if I would have been hiding even behind Peter. And then there was Timothy, who was a young man who struggled with acknowledging Christ in difficult circumstances. Peter denied him three times. Timothy was intimidated by certain people in the church. Again, this is all in the context of the church. But God forgave them and eventually used them for his glory. And so we're not saying that this has to be a perfection kind of thing. It's not that we're going to get it right every time. But it does mean that as a witness for Jesus, we have to acknowledge him. We have to work to acknowledge him in our lives in every area that we find ourselves in. Now, secondly, going on here in the verses, verses 34 through 37, this is the second instruction, and it should be clear by now. It should, all of this kind of is building to this point. Jesus must be first above all your relationships. Very simple, but very clear, very straightforward at the same time. Jesus has to be first in all your relationships. In fact, one of the things that I try to remember to do in counseling of young couples, and even couples who've been married for a long time that are struggling with one another, is to remind them of this kind of truth, is that your life with each other is not really about you. Your life is first to live, be lived for Jesus, and even your spouse must come second. And that's really what Jesus is saying here in these verses. Do not think that I came to bring, bring peace on the earth. I came to do just the opposite, to bring a sword. And then he gives us this illustration in verse 35 that we read. I came to set even the closest of relationships at odds with each other. And even in verse 37, very clearly saying, He who loves your father or your mother more than me is not worthy of me. That is a tough statement. That is a very challenging statement. And then son or daughter, how many moms or dads have wept because they love their children and then when their children are living lives of error spiritually and not felt the weight of that, only to be reminded that, wait a minute, God loves them even further and more deeply than we could ever hope to. So our priority is to be for God and not so much for the people even we love. Some people would say that that statement is such a contradiction about everything that Jesus should be, the statement about loving him and he didn't come to bring peace. Because the world looks at Jesus now and and many people are professing Jesus as 
as God, but the God that they want is the God who is to give them everything. Right? He's the God of peace. He's the God of love. And so my life should get easier. But Jesus never promised that. In fact, he said numerous times over, life is going to get more challenging. And this is just a good example of that. It is true that he is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6 says that very, very clearly when it's defining who he will be as Isaiah prophesies him. But he's not the Prince of Peace who's come to make life everything that you and I want it to be. That was not his purpose in coming. That's reserved for us in the next life. And we'll talk more about that in just a second as we get into the prophecy that he's quoting from. In these verses, Jesus is saying, I came to bring you peace, but not the kind of peace that you're looking for. In fact, going back now into what he's talking about very specifically in context, Jesus is saying, I did come to bring peace, but to Israel primarily. And don't get lost in this. If you follow scripture, you'll understand this carefully. Jesus made his covenant with the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people. And he came to bring them peace. But guess what? They rejected him. And when they rejected him as the Messiah, they couldn't receive the peace that he wanted to bring them at that moment. And so he turned to the Gentiles, set Israel aside for a time, except for those whom he had chosen out of Israel to be the remnant that Paul talks about in other places of Scripture. But he set them aside for a time and he created the church where you and I can receive the blessings of God and have this eternal life given to us, which means that if Israel had accepted Jesus when he first came, originally, think about it, the Prince of Peace was here. The Messiah had come. He had come to establish the kingdom in the hearts of men and women, but they rejected him. If the people of Israel had accepted Jesus at the time, he would have ushered in the kingdom right then. But they didn't. And so because of that, he did just what we were talking about. He changed the plan, so to speak. Now, not in his infinite mind, but in our understanding, he changed the the plan. And so he went from peace on earth to peace in heaven. No longer will you have peace here. You're going to have trouble here because you've rejected me, even among those people who you love the most. And so... We look at our world now and we understand pretty clearly that this is a satanically controlled world. Sin is rampant. It is everywhere. It's growing in an undeniable fashion where Jesus is denied as the God of the Bible. There are many people who profess him, like I said, but not as the God of the Bible, as Lord of all. And so all of that causes division between people, even among family members even among people that we are closest with. And so Jesus says, look, to be my true follower, you got to understand that your love has to be for me first, even above the people that you love the most. But just understand, too, that in doing that, in following me, there are going to be problems. There are going to be issues between yourself and those people who reject me and, again, even of the closest relationships. Or, and many of you have lived that. Some of you are experiencing that right now. You're literally having to make decisions about whether you're going to love your family more than you will the Lord Jesus Christ himself or being at least tempted that way. Maybe even being tempted about how to live in the midst of that relationship. How do I follow God? How do I prove that he is my Lord and I'm dedicated to him but yet not 
see and be led astray by the feelings that I have or the emotions that I have for the people that I love. So Jesus is laying down very clear instruction here. We have to be willing to go that far to follow him, which could be even meaning, could be to lose the relationship quite possibly. Uh, Jesus said, and Luke picks up on this in Luke 9, it's really one of my favorite verses. Um, He says this, it's another farming illustration. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus meant there was pretty much what it sounds like. If you've ever done any kind of tilling in a garden or you've tried to use a, a hoe to make a row straight or you've literally pulled a plow with a tractor or like Harry Daniel probably works behind a plow of a mule and uh, plows that way. Just kidding. I'm picking on Harry a little bit. Um, you know that if you're, if you're trying to plow a straight row and you're constantly looking behind you to see what you've done and how great things are back here that your row is going to be all messed up. And so the Lord's just using that. Every farmer would have understood that. And so he's simply saying you've got to keep your hands on the plow. You've got to keep looking straight. Keep moving with me. You can't look back into your former life or anything else, the people of your life, and expect that things are going to go well if you're going to follow me. It doesn't work that way. That's the goal. We certainly want peace. We're to pursue peace, but it has to come understanding that there may be a cost in following him. Now, at the same time, like I said, we want to pursue peace. It doesn't mean we're to force a division. Some people have taken that approach. Maybe you've come out of that background where it was so staunch and so religious, if you will, that there was no care or concern for other people. You know, it took that approach where God is everything and thus says the Lord and, and it doesn't matter people's feelings or anything. No, we're not to live that way either. We're to be sensitive to people and help them to see what life should be. But we just have to be aware that even out of a heart of love, it may be, for, it may be a very rough ride. Okay, so uh, in his illustration now, as we continue on here, uh, Jesus uses, as I was mentioning a moment ago, an illustration from the prophet Micah. That's If you have the Bible that has the capitalization in your verses, that's a reference back to an Old Testament prophecy. And so the prophet is from Micah, chapter 7, verses 2 through 6. Now, I'm not going to take time to read those. You can do that on your own. Okay, Micah 7, verses 2 through 6. But the context was a little bit opposite of what you would think as to why Jesus is using the illustration. If you go back and you read those first few verses, you're going to see that the people had strayed so far from God that there was really nothing but wickedness and nobody could be trusted. They had become so godless that it was a horrible, sinful situation and their sin brought a great division among each other, among family members, because there was so much wickedness. Even of the closest of family members, there was a division. But Jesus uses that illustration to say that he didn't come to, he didn't come to divide because of, of wickedness. He came to show you that you must love me so much that that will cause division. Just as an illustration here for the people that don't profess him. Again, all of this is the same line of thinking. Kind of like saying, in my way of thinking through this, as I wrote it down, I'm thinking, okay, you want to follow me on your own way of living? Well, fine. But when I come, I'll cause division greater than that because I'll require my people to serve me above anybody else. 
And so as much as the people were wicked in following their own heart's desires, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to bring division. But the division is going to be because people do love me and they want to follow me, not because they're involved in sin. And so it's just a twisting of the, of the use of the prophecy there that Jesus is making his point. But again, it doesn't have to be that way because Jesus really did come to bring us peace. That was his whole purpose, to rescue us from the sin that we're in. And he came, us, came to give us the right kind of relationships, the relationships that we really want. He really did come for that purpose. He even came to help us with our troubles. And the Bible is full of that. Jesus clearly shows that in his ministry. But he's simply saying all of that is conditional. His help is conditional on our willingness to surrender ourselves to him and to serve him. There is a two-way street here. And we're to replace our own interests and potentially, and I say this carefully, but just because this is what the Lord is saying, potentially even the very people we love the most if it means we are to follow him. Such was the case with John Bunyan. If you've read history, you know that John Bunyan was a great preacher of the gospel in his day. He's the one who wrote A Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you have read that. Uh, Well, John Bunyan was put in prison But don't think that he didn't wrestle in his flesh and even because of his family's sake for who do I follow here? Do I take care of my family or do I follow the things of God? Thankfully, John Bunyan followed the things of God, but don't think that he didn't wrestle with it. It was a tough situation for him. In fact, we know that because here's what he wrote when he was told that he had to stop preaching the gospel. It would have been very easy for him to say, whew, wonderful. I can just go live my life with my family and nobody's going to give me any troubles. But John Bunyan knew the truth of God and he knew Jesus had to be first. And so from his cell, he writes this, the parting of my, with my wife, because he was put in prison, and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. Boy, what a picture. And that not only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies, but also because I would have often brought to my mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family was like to meet with should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I have besides. Oh, he says, the thought of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. But yet, recalling myself, thought I, I must venture all with God, though it goeth to the quick to leave you. Oh, I saw in this condition I was a man who was pulling down his house upon his head of his wife and children, yet thought I, I must do it. I must do it. And so John Bunyan went to prison for preaching the gospel, even though he knew it was going to bring hardship for his family. Why? Because Jesus had to be first, even before his family. Now, if you go with me in verse 38, Jesus says something to the disciples that they would understand very, very quickly. He says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Well, what we don't know, but history tells us, is that just a few years before Jesus' own crucifixion, there was a band of zealots, those those people that, like Peter, was involved with, 
I don't know if it was this same group or not, but there was a band of zealots who gathered to fight the Roman occupation in the region of Galilee. And so the Romans quickly put that down because they were the superior power. There was no question about that. But to show the Jews a lesson or to teach them a lesson, they gathered 2,000 random people out of Galilee and crucified them and laid their crosses or erected their crosses along the street, along the roads in Galilee, as a reminder to the Jews that you don't cross the Roman government. And so you can imagine as Jesus brings up this particular illustration, for them it would mean something that they would very well understand, but probably not even understand as well as we need to understand and they would have understood at the moment. But in this illustration, I think they were starting to pick it up, which was he wasn't calling them to go be criminals. That was not what he was calling them to do. He wasn't calling them to rise up against the authority. What he was calling them to do was to be so dedicated to himself to his cause, to him as Lord, that they would be willing to go to the cross if that was what was required. And they would have understood that dedication. So I think the statement really reflects a question. And the question in my mind, for me even as I'm studying this, is will you have the same kind of love for others? In other words, will you be like those who have loved others enough to proclaim the message of the gospel in a world that's very darkened, even though it may mean great sacrifice on your own part, even the sacrifice of your family. I hear Jesus asking the question, will you be willing to go to your death with me? So this is not fairy tale stuff, is it? I mean, this, is, this is real life situation. This is not just the reality TV that we watch of somebody else's life. This is Jesus saying to all of his disciples who hear his truth, will you give your life for me no matter where or what or who it may involve? Will you serve me this way? Meaning, of course, not just a question but a statement. You must be willing to follow me this way. You must be. If not, you're not worthy to be a follower. That's what he's saying. Meaning talk is cheap, but your actions prove it. It must come out of the heart. And that really brings verse 39 to a head where he says, He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Meaning you can be selfish and live your own life, but you're going to lose your eternal reward. You may even lose eternity. Or you can follow me because of what I've done for you and gain eternal life. Just the opposite. Again, it's not rocket science. Very clear, very straightforward, uh, very thought-provoking, and very challenging in our day. You and I are living in a time where the world is wanting to hear less and less from us. There was a day where the church was pretty important. People did at least listen when the word of God was spoken. People showed some kind of uh, awareness that this was extraterrestrial, if you will. There's something that needs to be listened to here, but not so much anymore. It's getting worse, and you know that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. 
But I think, so I think we need to ask ourselves some questions as we heed the word of the Lord this morning. How are we doing? What kind of conversation would Jesus have with us individually this morning or as a church? If the Lord himself were here this morning and he were preaching this message himself, what would he be saying to us as his disciples? Would he give us a thumbs up? Or would he say we've got some work to do? I think that's for internal or individual introspection, really. But some of the other thoughts I think he would be asking us is, do people know, for example, that Jesus is, that I am your main priority? The people you work with, the people you live with? I mean, how about your spouse? That's a good question. Does your spouse know and can they affirmly say that my wife, my husband, belongs to the Lord and they prove that by the way that they live their life? Would they affirm that? I mean, there are many who probably would not. How about your children? It's been said many times before that children, you can fool everybody but your children. Children have this uncanny ability to see right through mom and dad. And they can tell when mom and dad are genuine or when they're not telling the truth or when they're not being honest, or when they're not living what God says to live. And so what would your children say if they were asked the question, do, you live, do your parents live for Jesus? It's very revealing, really. And again, I'm not saying we should be weird. Sometimes the world thinks, oh, we're just weird people or those radical fanaticals. So we're not talking about being weird. We're just simply talking about living the way that the Lord has called us to live, to show the world that we're different, to be different no matter where we are, mainly in our heart. It's got to be there first. But the heart will translate into the way we think, and so our thinking will be different. Our conversations will be different. What we do will be different. Where we go will be different. How we process life will be different. But again, coming back full circle, we need to remember As much as we are different to the world, the world won't understand unless the Spirit of God opens their heart. And so we need to be praying for them. But that doesn't mean, as Jesus says here, we shouldn't be displaying for them what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And we do it all the time. Now thirdly and finally, Jesus says, and I really think this is an encouragement more than anything from verses 40 to 42, Whoever serves me gains the greatest of rewards. So let's just digest this here for a second. Notice he says in verse 40, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. To receive means to take in, right? So he who takes you in takes me in also. Now some have said in the illustrations here of the distinction between a prophet and a righteous man or that there is perhaps a distinction between a righteous man and a prophet so that the Lord is maybe saying whether you receive one who delivers the message like me, a prophet, I would be kind of considered a prophet in our today's world. I'm I'm a proclaimer of the gospel. Whoever receives the prophet or whoever receives one who is living for Christ, the righteous man, it doesn't matter because Jesus says even the one who are considered the least, if you're not a proclaimer in that sense or you're not considered a righteous man, however you want to divide this, but you're simply just one who gives a cup of cold water, the simplest of gifts given out of a right heart spiritually will receive a reward, meaning there's nobody, no one who will be rejected 
from being in heaven who takes Christ's word into their hearts and lives publicly, whatever public looks like for you in your sphere of influence, who will be rejected and will also be given a reward in return. I think the exciting thing to me about what the Lord is saying here, to me, just blows away all the rewards of rewards, is that even if you never see the results of what you do, and I struggle with that, I'll just be honest with you, it's hard as a Christian sometimes to see results. Often we work and we work and we work and we display and we display and we display and there is no apparent fruit for that. I think the Lord is saying here is that even if you don't see some kind of fruit for your service, you will be rewarded. And that reward is, right, what he says here in verse 40 that I just read. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. You know what the reward is? We get the Father. We get Jesus. What better reward could there be? I mean, you just think about that for just a minute. What else could we receive greater than to have Jesus in us or the Father in us, to be affirmed by the Father? There's nothing that compares to that, is it? I mean, is it? There really isn't. I think that's the most beautiful reward that anybody could ever receive. In fact, someone once said this, abandon all and you will receive heaven. And when you give God your life, he gives you the gift of himself. Wow. How precious is that? We've been given everything. And now Jesus says, as my disciples, because you have me and you have my father, Go and live publicly as a display of who you say you are. Amen? It's a good word, isn't it? But challenging. So the Lord doesn't need to do anything other than be clear. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. What sometimes seems to be how the world would say contradictions of the scripture really is always just another way for the Lord to make clear who he is and what he demands of us. Lord, you wouldn't be a a real father, a loving father, the righteous kind of father who didn't put in front of his sons and daughters some conditions. The righteous will lead their children in ways that are not necessarily comfortable. The righteous parents will lead their children in a way that causes them to look inside their hearts and to examine what's really true and what's not. And they do that because they love their children and they want what's best. And Father, we see and hear your word this morning and and it's so easy for us to understand, if we're thinking properly, that the conditions that you place on us is not to just give us a bunch of warm fuzzies and go do whatever we want to do but they're what's best for us because it's the way we grow and the way we get to know you best. So thank you, Father, for not just giving us the lollipop every time we ask for it. Thank you for putting us in situations that demand us to determine our allegiance. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much 
that you have given your very self as our reward. And boy, we look forward to that. But until that day comes, we pray that you would help us to publicly display you with your power in the way that you would know is best. And we pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?